0: everyone, and welcome to the Nerd Room, where we talk all things comics and movies. This is episode number 77, where we're discussing the state of the cinematic universe. I'm Aaron, your host, Tim. And I'm Sanjay.
1: We're short one guy this week. That's right. Troy, the boy, is a no-show. No-show. He may be back a little later. He may make it back. We'll see. Depending if his... Um... What are those things called? Those transponders in Star Trek? If they make it, then he could just uh, <laughs> wrong franchise, Star Wars. All oh, right, if his warp speed makes it, right? Hyperspace. That's the one. Warp speed Star Trek. <laughs> Damn it. They're just so similar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, man, it's it's been a rather slow week in nerd. You know, with the build up to Spider-Man Homecoming which drops in a few weeks, we've got D23 and San Diego Comic-Con. It seems Woo-woo. like a lot of franchises studios marvel dc whomever are holding their cards pretty close to their chest not revealing much and leaving some of that for the surprise when the cons do arrive but that was the case up until about 20 minutes ago when we got word almost live so we are reporting this somewhat live that should we
1: do like a breaking news alert
0: Phil lord and chris miller the directors that are or were behind the young Han Solo film, have apparently left due to creative differences. Say it isn't so. (laughs) With Star Wars, with Lucasfilm. And that's a pretty incredible revelation that we're actually going to get into in a little depth in a moment here. Yeah. But that fits in really nicely with our main topic for this week. And that's going to be the state of the cinematic universe. Now, we're not talking about the cinematic universe that is the MCU. We're talking about all cinematic universes (laughs) and just how the evolution of that since 2008 has really changed how movies are written, how they're developed and how they're released because this whole cinematic universe, it's a money-making machine, but it's also have had some sort of maybe some negative impacts, but also I think a lot of positive impacts on the film industry itself. So we're going to get into a lot of depth there and go through some of the current, cinematic universes that are out there, and some that are rumored to be in development, including some from the Hasbro line, from Hanna-Barbera, all sorts of crazy (laughs) stuff going on. But before we get into any news and our main topic, we have an announcement, an exciting announcement from the Star Wars Commonwealth. Breaking news! Yes! (laughs) We are welcoming a new member, San Diego Sabres Radio Podcast. They joined... Just this past week, yes, they deserve a good head. <laughs> I had to listen to these guys. They're yep. absolutely fantastic. They're out of San Diego, obviously. You know, their main goal or their main theme of their podcast is really promoting and teaching lightsaber combat and dueling wow. skills. So it's pretty it's cool. cool. It's pretty yeah. niche. And when I listened to it, I was like, this is fantastic addition to the Commonwealth because it's something different again. I think that's what the Commonwealth is does really well it has each podcast kind of has their niche zone and fills a different aspect of fandom there's some overlap of course you're going to get that but everyone seems to complement each other quite well and fill in that that little corner of fandom which i think is absolutely fantastic and steve from over at san diego sabers radio podcast sent us a quick clip just to describe in a bit more detail what their podcast is about and how you can get a hold of them
1: all right let's hear it fire it up hi this is steve from the san diego sabers radio podcast Together with my hosts, Eric and Robert, we run San Diego Sabers, a lightsaber combat training group. Each
0: week, we talk about lightsaber combat, Star Wars news, interview special guests, or we just find something silly and fun to talk about. You can find us online at our website, sandiegosabers.net. On Facebook and Instagram, we're SDSabers, and on Twitter, we're SDSabersPodcast. Or you can email us using podcast at sandiegosabers.net. All right, well, Steve, thank you for sending that clip in and make sure you guys go check them out. They're currently on our iTunes provider page, the Stars Commonwealth, so you can find them there or you can find them by searching San Diego Sabres Radio Podcast on iTunes as well. So go check them out, part of a bigger group now. We're excited to have our seventh podcast, the seventh edition to the Stars Commonwealth. And as this community grows, it just gets better and better. Another exciting edition.
1: No, that was a great clip. Uh, I totally agree with you, Tim. Check out their podcast. It's really fun, really awesome. And um, I'm not going to lie, guys, I may be hitting you guys up for questions or uh, hints for San Diego, because I'll be going there for the con coming up in July. So, uh, you know, hook a fellow uh, Star Wars Commonwealth guy up. Nice. (laughs) You say the con like it's something small. I'm
0: going to this little con. This little, like, you know, minor thing. Mm -hmm. Small thing. (laughs) We're expecting tons of announcements and everything going on. Yeah, I mean,
1: if you guys want like, you know, I'll come over for dinner every day, uh, maybe crash your pad, (laughs) uh, you know, just small stuff that we, you know, come. Commonwealthers do. <laughs>
0: Well, I look forward to hearing more of them and look forward to collaborating with them as well. That's something that we do a lot here in the Commonwealth as we collaborate. We find ourselves on other podcasts. There's a Talk Stores roundtable, which does include numerous members from around the Commonwealth, including Knights of the Commonwealth. Those are listeners interacting with the hosts in this kind of live formatted question and answer type podcast. It's really great. Make sure you go check that out on the Talk Stores feed. But that's another way you can see the San Diego Sabres radio podcast because they're going to eventually be on Talk Stores roundtable as well.
1: What do you think, Tim? Should we challenge them to Mortal Kombat and lightsaber dueling? Oh, I'm sure they would just be up. <laughs> we would die. I do
0: have several lightsabers around here in various yeah. forms from child to the ones that actually light up, but I'm
1: guessing they have the proper equipment. To so, um, tr- truth time, do you practice like battling with them or are they just too collectible that you don't even take them out? Oh, I take them out one yeah.
0: time. Uh, maybe several times. Troy and I had the little ones over here, and they were dressed up in Ray costumes, and we did give them the lightsabers that's to awesome. actually battle each other with. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's quite funny. I did throw a picture up on Twitter once about that, and they really, really liked doing it. It was quite funny giving them these weapons and saying, okay, you can only hit the sabers together, not yeah. each other. And by the end, they're cracking each other off.
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's how you do it. Maybe I
0: should get them to listen to the podcast, pick up some scales in that. Well, you don't want them to beat you up. No, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right man well should we jump into some of the news this week let's jump in head first. all right well it's been a slow week like i said but star wars the fandom has been somewhat on edge for the past week or two there's two big stories come out here which has got people hovering around the big red button and i'm not going to play into this this hysteria of fandom i know i do play it up a bit on the dc <laughs> side and it's going to be interesting hearing your commentary on this because when stuff like this happens for the dc extended universe i'm the first one to jump all over it. <laughs> yes you are <laughs> <laughs> so i'm admitting my faults there but now it's it's hitting home here because yeah. there are some issues at least from the periphery for the star wars universe and that Does have some effect on fandom, and again, like I said, I'm not going to play into this hysteria. We're going to talk about it and discuss it, but I'm not going to amp this up too much. Let's let's play on the cautious end here.
1: Nope, clickbait (laughs) articles, Tim. Here's the thing: Star Wars is in trouble. I think they're going to reboot their universe. (laughs) (laughs) Clickbait. There's a clickbait article for you. First things
0: here, Colin Trevorrow, he is the director and writer of Star Wars Episode 9. So this is going to be the concluding installment to this new franchise, or at least this new trilogy. I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's going to be a 10 through 12 and all that. Absolutely. And this is slated to come out May 24th, 2019. So we're still two years out and people are starting to get a bit worried (laughs) about the director, Colin Trevorrow. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, people were a little bit concerned with him writing and directing the film his frequent collaborator Derek Connolly whom he wrote Safety Not Guaranteed with as well as Jurassic World okay those are so I've only seen Jurassic World I haven't seen the other one Safety Not Guaranteed's a good it's it's kind of one of those films that got him noticed oh this is one of the three films that he's done Okay, he's done three films. Yes, What's the third films. one? The th- well, the third one we're going to talk about in a second. But quickly, Derek Connolly, <laughs> his his collaborator, his writing collaborator, yes. is also responsible for doing Kong Skull Island. Oh, I heard good things. Yeah, the screenplay. But also Monster Trucks. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You mean the uh, movie about Monster Trucks with tentacles? Yes, the critically panned Monster Trucks. Okay, okay. So there's a little worry there about the writing tandem that we do have for episode 9, being Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly. And then the second layer to all this is Colin Trevorrow's new movie just dropped. Okay. Called The Book of Henry. Did you see it? No, I did not. This is a small (laughs) indie film. Okay. Not a lot of people saw it, apparently. And it really took a beating with the critics. It's got something close to a 25% rating on Rotten Tomato. Okay. And this is the one that really started to raise the alarm bells for some portions of fandom. And this is something that I think because, as fans, we're entrusting the legacy of these movies, the importance of these movies, to these directors, to these writers. And I think that's why people are a bit up in arms about... Colin Trevorrow's recent movie not really hitting well with people. Mm-hmm. But when you look back, like this guy, he's, he directed Safety Not Guaranteed was his first film. Yep. His second film was Jurassic World. Huge hit. Huge hit. So he went from something that domestically did... F- almost five million dollars okay. to something that did almost 700 million dollars that's insane it's yes.
1: absolutely insane
0: and he's gone back to the smaller indie film with the book of henry it's made something like a million and a half bucks domestically okay but it's not in the same scale of jurassic world or anything like no. that and that's where people are getting upset here they're saying well is he the one that should be directing star wars episode 9 the concluding yes. piece to this first trilogy What are your thoughts on fandom raising alarm bells (laughs) in reference to him writing the film as well as this new movie that he's got coming out that hasn't been well received?
1: Uh, Truthfully, I'm not really worried at all. I mean, I don't really think there's any carryover between films. Like, directors and writers, they take what worked for good films and then they learn from what didn't work from bad films. I mean, there's no carryover. If you look at writer Chris Terrio, he wrote Argo. And then everyone loved that film and won best picture, I think. And he won like a best writer credit at the Oscars. Yeah. Him and Affleck. I think Affleck was director. So there's a lot. Yeah. A lot of praise going. Yeah. And then he wrote Batman V Superman, which I personally loved, but it wasn't well loved by most people. (laughs) But then again, I mean, if you went into hearing that, okay, this Oscar winning writer wrote a Batman V Superman film, I think most people would have been super jacked. And then, uh, most people weren't when (laughs) the final product came out. um, And there's stuff like that all the all the way around. I mean, you know, maybe it just wasn't a good fit for him. I mean, it was a small budget film. Maybe he didn't put his all into it. Who knows? I mean, with Star Wars, this film's gonna live forever. Yes. Whether it's good or bad, people will be buying this, people will be watching it until the end of time. It's gonna make money. Guaranteed. Even if it was the worst film ever done, this movie's still making at least Almost a billion dollars, guaranteed.
0: I think the concern in fandom isn't so much, is it going to make money or is it going to hit with critics? It's Is it going to hit with fandom? You look at the size of the fan base in Star Wars, it's massive compared to DC, compared oh, to Marvel. Oh, it's the biggest one. And the biggest critics of Star Wars are often Star Wars fans themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think the big concern here is that we want a fitting end to this trilogy. Yeah. And you throw in this extra layer of complexity with the death of Carrie Fisher Mm -hmm. and her character having somewhat of an uncertain future in the franchise and how they're actually going to handle that. We're relying on him to bring us to the conclusion of the story that started in the force awakens or at least somewhat the conclusion as well as handling something that people were more or less walking on eggshells around is the death of Carrie Fisher and the death of princess Leia potentially in the film. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why these alarm bells are going off, but I agree with you. I don't think it's time to start freaking out about episode nine and the director and the writer. When I look back at this, In these big cinematic universes, and this is going to be a theme going through this entire episode of this podcast, is cinematic universes. But when you look at... Take a drink
1: every time Tim says (laughs) cinematic universes. It's almost a mouthful, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) When you look back at what's being developed here, and you look at this long-running narrative, and you look at how the studios are approaching this, particularly when you look at Star Wars with Kathleen Kennedy and Marvel with Kevin Feige, This is something that isn't planned movie by movie. This is something that's planned years and years in advance. And it is tweaking small things to make certain scenes land to to drive the narrative towards a fan favorite or something. So they're going to switch things like we'll see probably with Wonder Woman. Oh, but yeah. overall, I think there's this this context to the movie. Here's point A. We're going to point F. Let's develop the journey in between as we go through two, three, four movies. whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a director, yes, he is helming. He does have that creative freedom. But there always is this overarching body. Now, whether that's Kathleen Kennedy or a group of people or the story group or whomever, there's a lot of people with their hands in this that have a lot at stake. And they've been able to produce... Rogue One and The Force Awakens in the last couple years. Two huge movies, uh hit big with critics and with fans. With fandom especially. Yeah. So that's the reason I'm not overly up in arms about this, is that I feel like there's a lot of, maybe not a lot, but there's are controls on this, and they do have an idea where it's going. It's not like they finished Episode 7 and then started writing Episode 8. Yeah. They had an idea where things were going. Yeah, And you have to, to have this overarching narrative within a sequence of movies. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You have all these things that J.J. J. Abrams set up in episode seven that are mm-hmm. being picked up by Ryan Johnson that then again have to be picked up by Colin Trevorrow. So I don't think we need to be worried at the fact that, oh, he hasn't directed a big budget film or he's only done one, and it was <laughs> yeah. Jurassic World. And that's you know, when you look at the blueprints behind that, it's put big dinosaurs on the screen and people are going to freak out and love it. Yeah. This has a bit more depth to it, a bit more storytelling, and a bit more of a legacy to live up to. I agree. And the fact that this indie movie that he did didn't hit well, how many indie movies don't hit? How many indie yeah. movies don't ever make it to mainstream? So I don't think this is the time for fandom to get up in arms and say it's time to take Condravaro off of the project. I think that might at this stage be slightly more of a detriment. You've got someone that's heavily invested in this that's mm-hmm. already planning. He's talking to Ryan Johnson about adding scenes to tweak things for episode 9 which is something that Ryan Johnson did with J.J. Abrams. So you're seeing this continuity of filmmaking throughout the process already. This movie's too years away from his debut and this man is already putting a lot of effort into this so i think there's a lot of controls there and they got someone invested i think we just let him do what he has to do and when you look back at other film directors that are now praised for what they've done in blockbuster in the cinematic universe as well as some of their follow-on movies guys like joss whedon yeah. so he did serenity in 2005 now my never you, saw it. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's all right is it's right? falling on from firefly the the series that he, he did it is that was, the one with nathan fillion yeah Oh. Okay. really good you should check it out it's awesome yeah. but he did that movie in 2005 and yeah albeit he does have quite the depth in tv directing and tv writing and ensemble but here's a man that did a movie in 2005 that pulled in 35 million dollars was handed the reins of the avengers never heard of it the <laughs> This was the culmination of all the work that they had put into these movies, this first cinematic universe. They gave this to a relatively unknown director Mm -hmm. in the film world. Let's look at another director here, Christopher Nolan. Who's that? He he did a a few little movies, little Batman trilogy, Prestige, Interstellar. He's got Dunkirk coming out here. That's right. This is the man that was handed the reins of Batman after memento and insomnia which forget following and the following
1: yes Yes. you're right that didn't do very well (laughs) it's a ten thousand dollar (laughs) budget film but i actually own it and it's actually not bad yeah so he's plucked from obscurity somewhat yeah these movies were
0: successful memento and insomnia absolutely but he was taken and yes he is a fantastic writer but again a man that was put into a franchise Mm -hmm. that didn't have the depth or breadth of experience of a steven spielberg of this caliber james Cameron of this caliber yeah of of directors right Oh, for sure and then recently even with star wars gareth edwards yeah he had done monsters which is a great indie film godzilla and then he was handed the reins of a star wars movie but wasn't there some issues with him? Like Yeah, so th- this is, again, where it comes down to there are some larger controls on this. There yeah. was a, a guy that came in towards the end of production and rewrote and reshot a bunch of scenes, and we saw that from the trailers. The ending was different, and yeah. I think th- for the better maybe. Like We're never going to see what that actually was. Unfortunately, yeah. No, but again, it comes down to the ability to go back and retool these movies. They're shooting them so far in advance, and they're giving themselves the time to work on these to produce something that is great. And yes, we can have some... One come in at the end if that is needed yeah and i think that's the benefit of having a much larger family a much larger organization looking and watching and making sure all of this lines up and you know more or less acting as the curators or caretakers of these franchises it's not up to the director anymore to be the caretaker of the star wars that's up to kathleen kennedy and lucas film mm-hmm. this is their their baby their pet project and they're not going to let
1: this go down a path where they're unable to resurrect it again I mean, you got to be careful. You got to walk a fine line. If you look at a film like Suicide Squad, that got changed, which people say, for the worse than what the original director had intended. Now, with Star Wars, Rogue One seems like it got changed for the better. So you got to be careful. And I totally understand where they're coming from. I mean, look at these films. How much are the budgets are we getting? Star Wars... I mean, the first two episodes, seven and eight, probably combined five hundred million at least. Something close to that, yeah. If you count in marketing and all that, for oh, sure. at least. And then you add in this uh, episode nine, so you're talking about seven hundred fifty million dollars, like include marketing, maybe eight hundred, nine hundred million dollars. So there's a huge investment. Back in the day, I bet you the first Star Wars probably cost what ten million to make. I can't remember the exact number, but a lot of it... It wasn't a ton of money Yeah. For the amount of technology that they invented. I mean, it's crazy. So, I mean, all these films are getting more and more expensive, so it makes sense. I mean, investors are probably nervous. I mean, if you're owning shares of Warner Brothers or Disney, um, and you see that they're putting a $250 million gamble on the table, well, you want to make sure that you get the best product, and you want to get something that audiences will love. And I think... Um, due to the high budgets that's a that's a factor that a lot of people need to consider because back in the day back in the 90s i doubt you got very many films like titanic was what maybe 100 million i mean now there's inflation in there and stuff but you know i think the budgets are just ballooning oh yeah it's crazy like but big money doesn't mean
0: big movie or good movie
1: not necessarily no i mean look at Waterworld. Yeah. (laughs) yeah i mean and even avengers um number three infinity war that's gotta be the most expensive film ever done the two of them
0: are like a billion dollar budget or something yeah like that
1: i mean it has to with the amount of people that they have in there robert downey jr gets half of that in salary
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think i think overall the fandom should just take a back seat here and just let this play out a bit listen
1: to the words of bane yeah now is not the time to panic (laughs) (laughs) Well, <laughs> now wasn't the time to panic. Here's,
0: here's another red flag. And this is something that's coming kind of hot off the press here okay. in the Star Wars universe. And I said this at the top, but Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the directors of the young Han Solo movie, have up and left the film itself. <gasps> Gasp. Which is, I would say, <laughs> unprecedented. I don't think or I can't recall any film that's had their directors leave this late in the process. Well, let
1: me give you a history lesson there. I would love to hear one. You know a little man named Superman? Yeah. Let's bring you back to 1981, Superman 2. Richard Donner had filmed about 75% of the film. Him and his producer, uh, the Salkinds, they did not get along at all. They hated each other. They filmed the first one, and then there was a hit, so they decided to continue with the second one. About 75% of the film was done. So the movie was almost done. They fired the director. They hired their own guy. But I forget the guy's name. Um, he didn't do a well, he did an okay job. Like, I, I like Superman too. Um, but um, so they hired this guy. And then, according to the rules, in order to be named director, you have to shoot at least 50%. So he had to go back, add in scenes, and reshoot some of the stuff that Richard Donner had already shot. Jeez. So it was it was a mess. It was a mess. Like uh, Lois looks different in some scenes. Christopher Reeves looks different in some scenes, and it it just didn't. It it came out okay, but it could have been so much better in my opinion. And um, so yeah, this has happened in the past, but as you said, it's far and few between. That's not an overly comforting story. (laughs) (laughs) It was was still a big hit. I mean, I don't want to downplay it. I really enjoy that film. Uh, I have yet to see the um, Richard Donner cut, but I just feel like they changed the tone. Like, the first one was more serious, and then the second one was a little bit more campy. Yeah. So they changed the tone, so you can definitely notice a shift. But, hey, the movie was a huge hit. It was a big success, so there is precedent of it working.
0: Yeah, well, this is quite an odd revelation here. And Kathleen Kennedy addressed this right away. She said that Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are talented filmmakers who have assembled an incredible cast and crew. But it's become clear that we've had different creative visions on this film, and we've decided to part ways. A new director will be announced soon. They just noticed that
1: after filming three quarters of the film? That's what worries me. And then Lord
0: and Miller responded with this. Unfortunately, our visions and process weren't aligned with our partners on this project. We normally aren't fans of the phrase creative differences, but for once, this cliche is true. We are really proud of the amazing world-class work of our cast and
1: crew. See, this is what worries me and is kind of concerning. If you're those two directors, I mean... You're going to get paid a ton of money for Star Wars. And when the movie comes out, it's going to be a big hit. You're going to make tons of money. You'll make so much money that you could do whatever project you wanted to do. Pretty much guaranteed, right? So why are they leaving now? I mean... Well, this is like,
0: catastrophic as far as the differences that must have been between the two of them. It must have been huge. Because, like, you even look at... The the, the script is there. This was done by Lawrence Kasdan, another writer. Yeah. So it wasn't their script. So they're executing here. They've gotten three-quarters of the way through production. They've done the casting. They saw something, like... Three thousand people to cast Han Solo. That's crazy. And they've assembled a, a great crew, a great cast. If they, as they've said, they've gotten three quarters of the way through the filming. And the interesting thing about this film itself is, yes, it is working itself into the greater Star Wars universe, but they could be seeding small things like a sequel and that, but it's not fitting into this overarching narrative. These are the anthology supposed to be standalone movies. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's easy to work in things like they did in rogue one with cameos and appearances and references like they had with Tarkin and all that. Yeah. But you're also not trying to work in things like Thanos and all these type of different infinity stones like you're on the mcu so this this movie should have been relatively contained as far as what it had to build into it had to exist in that universe but it didn't have to build into another franchise or another movie or some overarching narrative it just had to fit that story of that character so i just can't even imagine how they're so far apart on the direction of this film like, even you look at it, because it's a prequel, you can't kill Han, you can't kill Chewie, you can't yeah. kill Lando. Like, there's not...
1: Well, like you this... could, and just say they're clones.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you could go see me a yeah, wacky, different... Yeah. yeah. That would be mental. But, like, at the end of the day, there's there's you're still within the confines of yeah. being a prequel movie. Something that's set before that has to work into something. Yeah. So, you have that boundary there, but it's not like you want to take this Han Solo character and go a completely different direction with them because you basically have to fit that Harrison Ford mold to a degree. Same with Donald Glover as Lando. They have to fit in to this cardboard cutout that they've already have standing there from 40 years ago. Like this Mm -hmm. this has to work in the greater universe. So having creative differences, I just really can't understand how they're this far apart that they've parted ways. Like that they've left this big movie that the the Kathleen Kennedy has come out and said that basically we're in an impasse. Like there's no way we're getting past this. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. And being that they aren't the writers either, it's not like they've put their vision to paper Mm -hmm. and are trying to execute something differently, or this is what they wanted. And they've come back and said, nah, this really isn't going to work. So it's very confusing to me. Like I just don't fully get it, but it's humongous news. And being that it's on a Star Wars film that comes out next May. So we're about a year away. We're still in principal photography there are reshoots scheduled later on down the road, but, you know, is, is there a potential for this movie to slip back into that December slot that we wanted?
1: No, because then Aquaman will get bumped. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, well, there's two ways you can look at this. Either the directors wanted to take it in some weird, wacky way, and Lucasfilm said, no, you got to fit in the confines. Or the directors wanted to fit into the confines of, you know, what has already been established, and Lucasfilm wanted to take it in some wacky way. So hopefully... It is the first one where the directors were way off and they wanted to do something horrible with it. And Lucasfilm said, no, no, no. You guys, you know, you guys got to rein it in. Because if it's the other way, I I don't know. Like it's... I just can't imagine it's the other way. I can't imagine Lucasfilm's like, we want you to do
0: this. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, that doesn't fit within our universe. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really strange. Like I, I just, because you look at... Let's take Ant-Man for an example. This yeah. is something that's more recent. is isn't quite the same because they weren't three-quarters of the way through production when they left, when right. Edgar Wright left. But he had a script that was in place for years. Mm. This man wrote something before Iron Man even came out. Yeah. Ant-Man was supposed to be the first film in the MCU. Yeah, And he waited so long because he had to finish his other movies that by the time Ant-Man rolled up, it no longer fit, or the script he had, no longer fit into the continuity and into the confines of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. And that's a perfectly valid example of where two parties can come to an impasse yes. because he had an original vision and this evolved into something different along the way while he was making other movies. Right. That made sense to me. This one, I'm still really confused. I just don't get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if we'll ever find out what happened and I don't know if they're going to have to go back and reshoot some of the film now because if I'm a new director and i'm getting well there's gonna be lined up at the door of directors who want to do this project but if you're one of the if you're the director that's chosen you want your name on this star wars film you don't want it to still say lord miller so they're gonna to have to do at least you know some more reshoots big reshoots not yeah. scheduled
0: already and that's gonna happen but you look at the process, you're like, it's, it's fine to have all of the principal photography done and pick up reshoots, but then you've got to edit this movie together into something cohesive. Yeah. And so that's going to be the big task of the new director. Because of the amount that's shot already, it's going through figuring out what you've got and going back and saying, I need to pick up half the movie, a quarter of the movie, whatever, to make this seem like a seamless story. Right. And if they get to the cutting room floor and they decide that they've only got half of a movie then maybe it's time to bring someone else in. And this is something that could have happened. They could have went back and looked at a rough cut of what they had and decided, wow, this just doesn't look the way we want it to. It doesn't feel you guys don't have enough scenes here. It's not driving the Han Solo narrative that we want. And they kind of just said, maybe we'll agree to part ways. We'll agree to disagree. We'll go this way. You pick someone else out that can execute this film to a point. And then it comes to the editing. That's just the next big step. And it's putting together a movie. So to be honest with you, we're not going to see the results of this until the movie's on the screen. Right. Because we've said it before, anyone can cut a trailer. If you yeah. can't cut a trailer, a two-minute trailer, out of your two-hour movie, yeah. then something's wrong with your movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, even bad movies have great trailers. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's the thing. If you, Like I said, you can't pull two minutes out of your film yeah. of good footage to make people hype for it. Then you should just throw your whole film out
1: the window. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. So I, I'm, I'm
0: not going to... Insight panic here for Star Wars fandom. But this is somewhat concerning. But like I said with Colin Trevorrow and with the whole idea of the Star Wars cinematic universe of Marvel and all that is that there is a larger presence there. They're watching over these things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not concerned from the perspective of the narrative or what they're doing. It's just as long as they have the time. So if they have to step back and say, look, we're going to give ourselves an extra six months here just to sort all this out. So we continue to produce the movies and deliver the movies that we've promised. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I think that's probably the better way to go about it anyways. No, I agree. I agree. Because I really like the December stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, join the Aqua team. (laughs) So here's the question now. Who takes over? That is a really tough one. Like, do you bring back a guy like
0: (laughs) Gareth Edwards to Josh Trank? Come on, (laughs) do you bring back Gareth Edwards to execute this movie? Like, he just finished Rogue One. I don't know what he's doing right now. I
1: doubt it because it seemed like they didn't have the best relationship. If they went and hired someone else to do a bunch of you know editing to the end of the film,
0: why do I? To to degree it might have been alongside him. Like he may have
1: agreed to this. Something like
0: Zack Snyder with Joss Whedon, right? Right. Is that they've agreed that you know I can't. I've got writer's block or I've got something. I can't execute this to the full extent and I need someone to come in fresh blood, fresh take. You see this all the time. Joss Whedon added a ton to a bunch of the different Phase 2 MCU movies. You see this quite a bit. Even in The Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams had Lawrence Kasdan and a few others come in from time to time to clean up the script, to make things feel a bit more streamlined. Mm -hmm. So like one person, again, one writer can't do it all. Like they have a vision. Executing something from paper to film is not an easy thing. You might have a vision, but it just might not look right. It might not come together. Mm -hmm. So having that fresh blood in there, I don't think is a bad thing.
1: Yeah, no, I mean... I don't, I don't know who it's, who it's going to be, but it's going to be someone big. It's not going to be a no-name. It's going to be someone that's going to be, you know, a veteran, I think, that'll just kind of shepherd this film into... J.J. Abrams. Like, do you bring back a Star Wars director? Lucas. <laughs> I don't think that's <laughs> happening. Okay, I got a crazy idea here. What about a down-on-his-luck director who was once the talk of Tinseltown? This guy, you know, in the 80s was the man, but he hasn't had a hit in the last, like, 10, 20 years. Okay. I'm, I'm talking you... about Steven A. Spielberg. He's had
0: hits in the last bunch of years, hasn't he? No. Like BFG, that thing.
1: I don't, he seems those.
0: too big. Like it seems beyond Steven Spielberg. But he needs something else. Like he hasn't had... Does he though? Like his his film repertoire is so uh, deep. It's
1: true. Like he could retire tomorrow and he'd be like still regarded as a top five director of all time.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he... My, my initial thoughts are bring in someone that's recently directed a film, a Star Wars film. Like Abrams. But Abrams does he still want Edwards. to? Well, he says he regrets not doing episode eight. So I, I really yeah. don't know. Again, it comes down to like, can you bring in someone like that to execute a film that someone's done a lot of the work on already? Yeah. Because it's putting your stand. But Abrams has a very particular look to his films. Yeah. And a style. So I, it's, it's a tough one. I, I really don't, I'm interested to see who they drop into this. I, I have a feeling it's going to be someone familiar with the franchise. Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, let's get off of that train for a little bit. I, we're going to, we'll tick that hysteria level just up into maybe like the yellow or something. All right. Know.
1: All right. So let, let's, yeah, I, I agree. Let's get off, you know, the mass hysteria of star Wars and talk about some positive DC news. <laughs> When's the last time we could say that sentence? couple weeks ago when we talked about wonder woman that's true that's true but but there was no negative star wars news at that time do we have dc news right now not really news but more of a celebration i love celebrations star Um, wars celebrations. that's right that's right (laughs) so june was a big month for batman in the 90s he released three films in the 90s all in the month of june so this is the 25th anniversary of batman returns really yes oh my god doesn't that make you feel old really old i still remember getting so the toys I. yeah so do i uh the 22nd anniversary of batman forever Whoa. and the 20th anniversary of batman and robin okay that blows my mind it this feels like just yesterday that makes me feel really, really old. <laughs> so i mean those three films all came out in june all in the 90s what, what are your memories from those films well
0: 89 i don't remember yeah, But Batman, all three of those were in my wheelhouse when I was a kid. Like, I don't have the same opinion of the Schumacher films now that I did when I was a kid. I love them. I agree. I thought they were fantastic. They were flashy. They were toyetic. They were everything that a kid... I can't remember even how, what, what year did it come out in, Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin, uh, 95. No, 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 97. So I would have been 12. Yeah. So yeah, I was right there. <laughs> so it, it's it's one of those things that I have really fond memories of those. I think... Batman and Robin, I don't, or sorry, um, Batman Returns, I don't remember quite the same way because I was a bit younger still. And that was a bit darker tone. That was a bit strange. I remember having like the Penguin action figures. Oh, me too. And all that. And the Batman, and, like that was all right there. I thought those were the greatest films of all time. I and agree. it turns out as an adult, I think they're mostly junk
1: but... <laughs> i think batman returns is still a very good film it still holds no, I'm up talking about those ones i'll leave alone, yeah with the burton but uh films. the schumacher films batman and robin if you go in expecting camp kind of like the 66 series it's a fun movie like you cannot tell me you can't go into that movie and you won't be laughing or you won't be you know looking at like the set designs and the neon and being like wow you know like i had fun watching this movie it's campy and it's terrible but it's Terrible in a good kind of way. It's one of those movies
0: that I feel like you should never go back and rewatch.
1: Oh, I rewatch it all the time. Really?
0: Oh, it's one of my most rewatched movies. <laughs> you gotta live sometimes fondly through those 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 child memories of a film and just yeah. be like, Oh, I remember that and you go back and watch it. I recently went back not too long ago, this is a complete tangent, but and rewatched the Ninja Turtle movies. Oh uh, this is okay. before the, the first new Ninja Turtles came out.
1: Oh uh, okay yeah. And
0: one is still good, two yeah. I would have thought it was the best movie of all time. Oh, when with Razor so, and yeah.
1: uh, Bebop or whatever?
0: Yeah, the, the fake Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah, yeah. I, I But it's horrendous. Really? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> like, they don't even use the weapons or anything in it. But that's uh, neither here nor there. But that's one of those things that never going back maybe is a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah, no, Batman in the 90s. I mean, we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for Batman. He kind of started this whole superhero kick. So, you know, if you get a chance, go back, rewatch him. I know I'll be checking him out. Sometime soon. I love Batman Returns. Batman Forever is my least favorite of the three and Batman and Robin. Still, you know, a lot of fun. It's the anniversary month. Ice to see you. <laughs> Ice to see you. I mean, come on, you can't tell me Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze doesn't at least bring a smile to your face. A little bit. When yeah. I think about it
0: sometimes, but it's more of a mocking. It's I hilarious. <laughs> I mean you,
1: no one has had a bad time watching that film. George Clooney, Batgirl robin poison ivy when she's trying to be all seductive and she's dressed up like a gorilla (laughs) the purple It just gets worse (laughs) as you explain it it'd be like a, you know it'd be interesting to show a kid that movie because i think a kid would like it i think you know how many kids became batman fans because of that movie
0: yeah well, it's the action figures, too. Like I said, it's Toyetic.
1: Yeah. Like, it's something that they made for the toys. It still made over $100 million. I think it was, like, 12th highest grossing film that year. So it didn't, like, do terribly. It just uh, didn't light the world on fire.
0: That's living off the goodwill of what had come before it, I think. Batman Forever. <laughs> Jim Carrey. I like, I kind of like that one, too. Maybe, yeah? I don't know. Two-Face. They should have kept
1: uh, Billy Dee Williams.
0: Yeah, they should have. I don't know why they. Tommy Lee was kind of odd.
1: Well, Tommy Lee's a great actor, but he just hammed it up the whole time. Like well, that's not
0: Two Face. Yeah, he was
1: like a crazy
0: Jack Nicholson Joker. He was like
1: all purple and yeah. stuff, and they threw the acid on his face, but he had like some papers that blocked it. Or yeah, the, portfolio, <laughs> like,
0: or the folio, whatever it's called. What is those papers
1: made out of that <laughs> they block the acid? <laughs> oh well, man. maybe we'll revisit those someday down the road. I think I think we should do a director's not a directors, but a commentary of Batman and Robin. I'm into that. Yeah, I'm into that. All right, that'll be our first uh, movie commentary. Cool. You Watch heard for it that. here first. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, man. Well, so I thought we'd do a little bit of a comic book roundtable and discuss a little bit about what you've been reading in general, what you've been enjoying about DC Rebirth lately.
1: All right, so DC Rebirth has been going really well for me. I've really got into Superman. Yeah. I, you know, the New Fifty Two. I didn't actually follow Superman that closely. I don't know what it just didn't like dig the run like it was okay but this rebirth the action comics has been fantastic I mean you throw in Zod you throw in Mr. Mixplix uh, <laughs> <laughs> you throw in some of his uh, greatest villains and Superman action comics has been killing it and you know as we creep closer to issue 1000 I'm looking forward to see what they have in store for that So I also read the uh, prequel comic DC Dark Days The Forge, which is a mystery by Scott Snyder, the writer of Batman, and it spans his entire Batman run. So that one issue is really well done and it has uh, Aquaman in it, the Flash, other characters, not just Batman. So it was good to see that. Um, Other than that, I haven't been reading too much. um, Just trying to catch up. Tried to pick up Batman 24, but I guess something happened in that issue that made it sold out. Really? Yeah, like I've never had that happen before but it must have been something big. I don't know, maybe he dies or something because that
0: seems to be the only issues people buy. <laughs> we'll have to get Chris over at Alpha Comics to hook you up with one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still looking for that first printing but it's sold out across the, across the city so Chris at Alpha Comics, if you have one, let me know and I'll get Troy the boy to pick it up for me. He owes me. Up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, myself here, I've had a kind of a personal renaissance when it comes to comic book reading. I, I kind of, backed off quite a bit because i was disappointed about the digital stuff and right i just wasn't feeling a lot what marvel was doing so i took a real step back from comics for a couple months i was you know visiting the comic book shop periodically my pull list had dropped down and i decided to go back and and take about five or six series that i was really enjoying before and and start from scratch again and kind of read them from the start while picking up secret empire as well And I've made a commitment to reading one comic book a day for
1: the last three weeks. Oh, because you wanted to get like one a day until Avengers Infinity War? Well, originally I was going to do 500 days of Avengers.
0: Right. But then I decided I didn't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) So that was going to be another lead into Avengers Infinity War. But what what I've done is taken that similar concept and just said, I'm going to sit and read one comic book a day in the morning. Okay. So what I've been doing on the bus is I take a physical copy. I've got a, a nice case and all that. I think I've mentioned this before. And I've had an absolutely fantastic time getting back into comics. Nice. It has been so much fun. I've caught up on Secret Empire. I'm caught up on Dr. Afra, the Mall series. I'm up to date on Star Wars. Steve Rogers. I'm slowly adding in books again, and I'm just going each week and buying two comic books from the comic book shop. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty that's, doable. that's my yeah. strict limit. I'm saying I'm not going to spend a ton of money here. Right. I'm going to enjoy my quality books over the quantity of books. I'm not going to try to read every single time to every single event and all this. I'm going to just really concentrate on what I like. And I have really had a fun time getting back into comic books
1: i agree sometimes trimming the fat can actually work if you read too many books then you don't know what's going on right like you read say you read eight books you read aquaman you read flash batman superman wonder woman justice league and then so then you're like okay i read all those and then now you go read aquaman again you're like what was happening again like who is he fighting what's going on whereas if you just read say you know uh batman and superman okay this happened this happened you you remember exactly uh, your brain can only you know contain so much information. Yeah, and it's it's a
0: consumption rate too. Like when I had six or seven series or even more than if I had a dozen or so series, I could only get through one or two and then I'd forget what was going on here right. and then I would be fall way behind over here. And so I've, I've really thought about going back to trades as well. Right. Is series that I've heard good things about that i i want to read but i think in trade fashion it'll be a lot easier Mm -hmm. and then just concentrating on the physical single issues for series i'm really enjoying so that's kind of my personal story about like this as i called it the renaissance that i'm going through with comic book reading and i'm excited about comic books again and i'm really happy about that and i veered completely away from the digital i'm back to physical copy only i insert the digital copies so i do take the sticker off on all that but i'm just reading the floppies
1: now I really, really have fun with eh? it. Well, it's good to have you back reading the floppies with me. I mean, there's nothing better than sitting down, opening up a brand new comic book and just reading it from cover to cover and just being enthralled with the art and the story. And it's good to have you back. Yeah, well, I'm enjoying it. And I'm really excited for what's
0: coming down the pipe here because Star Wars or Marvel just recently released Phasma number one, the first few pages from it. Oh. Ooh. And so this is coming out in September uh, on Force Friday. So this is coming along with the Journey to the Force Awakens, and this is a story that's going back and bridging that gap between the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi with Captain Phasma. So what happened after? Han and Finn threw her into that trash compactor. And it the the panels that they did release do show what appear to be those final moments of The Force Awakens from the perspective of Captain Phasma. Oh. So it looks pretty cool. The art looks absolutely fantastic. I'm excited for this series. It's a four-issue miniseries, I believe. So it's gonna be quick, it's gonna be short. It's gonna be one of these series that I'm really excited to pick up.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, it's always good to have something to look forward to. Yeah. So what's your comic book pick of the week after all this comic book talk? Uh, after all this comic book talk, my pick of the week. Action Comics 979. So, as I said, as we race towards issue 1000, we have this uh, storyline of Superman fighting a team of villains, not unlike the Sinister Six from Spider Man. So, we got Eradicator, Cyborg Superman, Mongol, um, Metallo, and they're trying to recruit General Zod. So, it's kind of neat to see. I love the villain team ups taking on Superman. You know, it's pretty interesting because they're always like, you know, it's the only people strong enough to take out superman as a team of supervillains because no one supervillain could do it so let's see what they got and i'm a big general zod fan i always go back and forth but i think at this moment i can definitively say general zod is my favorite villain in comic book history there you go so um anything that he's in i love reading and i love him in both his movies so yeah. awesome awesome what about you timbo
0: Well, I'm really, like I've said in the past, I think I've recommended every issue of this series is Secret Empire. And I'm recommending right now Secret Empire number four, this continuation of this large arc, but centered around a Hydra Captain America. And this revisits from issue number three, Ultron and Hank Pym, what's going on in this whole battle between Captain America Hydra and the Secret Avengers type sec led by Tony Stark. The Underground, as they're called. And there's a revelation at the end of this comic book. But it's an absolutely fantastic series. And it's coming out quick enough. And it's it's being supplemented by Captain America issues as well. There's lots of tie-ins. But I'm only sticking with the main title. I might eventually go back and pick up some of the trades for some of this to get some of that supplement to, to bulk out the story a bit. But like I said, you can get through this story with only a couple books. You don't need all of the tie-ins. And I think that's where its strength lies, is that it's a good story. And it doesn't require you to read every single tie-in.
1: Oh man, how frustrating is it when you get a tie-in and there's like one panel that connects to the main story? That's the worst. It drives me batty. And it's just a marketing ploy just for you to pick up the
0: comic. I fell victim to that in the first big crossover event that I ever read was AVX. Oh, you went all out. Eh? I went all out. I got <laughs> everything. And I realized that half of it didn't really play relevance to it. It added yeah. to the story, yes. But at the same time, I didn't need it. So I spent like You could in an event you could spend hundreds of dollars.
1: Oh, absolutely! Have you ever read any of the tie-ins and actually found that it actually improved on the main storyline? The only, and I don't even know if I'd consider them
0: tie-ins, but you, you, when you look at some of these these events, if they're Captain America centric or Avengers centric, usually the Avengers book. Like if you look back at Hickman's Infinity. Event that he did with Thanos. And when I was reading the Avengers and the New Avengers, along with the Affinity main books, those really complemented that series. Mm -hmm. Where I think the Captain America complements this as well. Oh, yeah. So they weren't necessary, but they really enhanced the story. And I think that's one of the prime examples. But other than that, the Star Wars ones are doing it right almost where they yeah. do have what they call like an alpha or a beta comic yeah. where they have a single issue that kicks off the event and then it's played out in the ongoing issue. So it does wreak a bit of havoc on those that are kind of purists and just like to read through a single run of something. Right because you're not gonna get the full story. Like if you're reading Star Wars, you have to kind of be reading Dr. Aphra as well. Yeah. So you're kind of getting sucked into that, that, you know, you have to read a tie-in to get the full appreciation for the event. Mm-hmm. But again, it's only, I think it's five issues. It was the, the main single issue, the one shot, and then two issues from Star Wars and two issues from Afra. Uh, so realistically, for Screaming Citadel, you do need Afra, because it yeah. builds into it. But at the same time, going back and forth, you can get the most of it without getting too many tie-ins. So, to a degree yes i'd say that sometimes but i don't think that for secret empire you need to be reading the inhumans tie-ins or anything like that or the x-men tie-ins. i don't even know if they're tying into it but you don't need a lot you get the gist of it i think from this i think you you benefit from reading the main series of course and there's one or two you can pick up but overall i'd say probably one or two supplemental books to an event Mm -hmm. will make the experience better for you in in a whole generality i guess yeah no that makes sense So, all right, man. Well, we're here to discuss today the cinematic universe, the state of it, and what really spurred some of this conversation was. An interview that Kevin Feige did <laughs> alongside Amy Pascal of Sony. This is glorious. This was almost beating out the sad Batman. Oh,
1: the sad, the sad Affleck is gone. Let's retire that, okay? It's now the gulping Feige. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what, what Sanjay is referring to here is that Kevin Feige, Marvel's CEO, He's remained quite adamant that Spider-Man, the Tom Holland Spider-Man that was debuted in Civil War and mm-hmm. whose solo movie we're getting here in a couple weeks, that he's part of the MCU and anything else that Sony's doing is their own thing. And this has been something that Feige has been pretty straight on mm-hmm. for the entirety of this what is Sony doing? This Venomverse type thing that we've talked about in the past. Right. And he was sitting alongside Sony's Amy Pascal, who's in charge of the Spider-Man universe, or at least whatever they have there at Sony. Right. And they were doing an interview together, and she goes on to say, <laughs> this is in <laughs> reference to the Venom movie that okay. was asked by the interviewer. This is a German website, FilmStars. So she said, they will all take place in in the world we're now creating for Peter Parker. Oh, okay. There'll be a junks to it. There may be different locations, but they'll all still be in the same world and they will be connected
1: to each other as well. Wow. that You know, that changes my excitement level for Venom. Yeah, well... if you go and watch the
0: video kevin's feige reaction is priceless it's amazing it's hilarious he has this what in the hell are you talking about (laughs) look like it's almost like she has no idea what she's talking about and she's just putting something out there right so i I looked at three ways that this could be taken okay sony's pivoting and trying to put marvel on the spot and trying to say that Let's get the fan hyped him up like they did with Deadpool. They threw something out there yep. and the fans made it happen. Let's put this out there and see what happens. Can we get Marvel to adopt Venom into their universe and now all of a sudden we have this huge cinematic universe that we've built up kind of in around the Sony, but
1: they're somewhat adjacent to or within the cinematic universe. That makes sense to me because as I said before, I wasn't excited for the Venom movie. Knowing that there's a possibility that it connects to Tom Holland's Spider-Man infinitely more excited well let me throw
0: this one at you all right what if this is a massive infinity war secret and the reason feige reacted that way is because she just gave away this huge thing that was going to be in infinity war you look at the landscape in infinity war we're going to be combining the cosmic with the earth faring ah where does venom come from
1: that's right secret wars wasn't it yes it was secret wars he
0: comes from the stars or whatever He comes from the Symbiote planet, actually, as they established recently. So could it be that Venom is actually teased at the end of the Infinity War saga and Spider-Man 2, which will pick up after Infinity War or after Avengers
1: 4, is going to actually be teased in there. Wow. I had no I you know, I didn't even think of that. This is why I come and do the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That would be huge. And that would be a game changer, and I hope it's true.
0: Yeah, like you look at what we've got—Venom's Gar- in Guardians of the Galaxy, or was no longer was yeah. Venom Space Knight. You've got this this whole cosmic thing going on. You know, could this symbiote basically hitchhike his way onto Earth on one of Thanos' ships or something to that effect? Right. I, I it's hard to read his face when you put that into perspective. You're thinking, well, maybe he's just like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Right. Um, and the other
1: thing is that she has no clue what she's talking about. <laughs> That's a strong possibility. <laughs> Sony doesn't strike me as a very competent studio of late. Mm. Uh, I haven't been, you know, that impressed with their offerings of movies for the last couple of years and neither have a lot of fans. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that second one though has got me really hyped and I hope that is, but you think if that was the case, there must be some sort of a uh, non-disclosure agreement or something that they would have cha- you know, taken away the interview and removed that part. I don't know. Free press, man. I
0: don't know. Like, Feige just refused to comment on it and during the interview itself. And he did say after that there are no plans to include him in the MCU right now. So he is playing a bit to it. He's trying to be, I guess, not so much antagonistic towards Sony here. They've built some of a relationship and hopefully they can go forward with this. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. And if we do get a tease in Infinity War, what they're going to do about all this. Right. Part of me still thinks that it's just a bunch of, like, she just, for whatever reason, decided that she needed to put Fuggy on the spot there, which I'm sure he didn't appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a possibility that there's, there's something bigger in the works here. Who
1: knows? Let's hope so, because, you know, the good thing about having two studios do these films is. Marvel Studios has only a limited amount of money. It may be a lot of money, but it's still limited. So they can only put out maybe three, four movies a year. Yeah. If you throw Sony in the mix, now you get maybe five, six a year. Because yeah. they could do at least two.
0: Yeah. It becomes difficult, though, with your cinematic universe here. And this is where we'll transition to this discussion, is that if you're doing four or five movies contained within a cinematic universe, you're going to run into issues with... With your continuity eventually you're going Mm. to start stepping on things. It's very hard to control that much filmmaking and trying to create an overall narrative that drives towards something again. I think it's doable but the question comes into doing it well and I think when we look back at the state of the cinematic universe as we're going to going forward here in the podcast it's that this whole concept is still pretty brand new. And we're seeing it evolve before our eyes. We've gone from this initial franchising, where Star Wars really kicked us off about mm-hmm. franchising, and then we've got big sequels, prequels, all of this universe building that was focused around a single character or a single set of characters. Right. And then you have... Marvel coming into the picture here, which takes franchising to the absolute next level by taking multiple franchises and jamming them together into this overall narrative that drives towards something bigger that leads into yet another combined franchise. And what we're seeing somewhat here with Sony and potentially some of these other universes that we're going to talk about is they're now starting to blend numerous cinematic universes together and creating an even bigger umbrella. And when you look back at the creation of the cinematic universe, like I said, it's it's recent that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's really changed the landscape in Hollywood. We've gone from what was always big sequels and big franchises to multiple franchises to three, four movies a year coming out within a cinematic universe. And this is right. only all since 2008. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the movies that are coming out next year, 2018, there's upwards of eight or nine movies that are contained within individualized cinematic universes that are That's
1: dropping. crazy. So about one a month.
0: Yeah. This is going to suck up your big tentpole positions in the majority of summer through fall into christmas time and all
1: that Even right february now like there's what was the movie that came out in february that was a big hit deadpool deadpool logan came out in january i believe so march close enough yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there's this whole idea this this concept i, I want to get your opinion on it because this is something that we talk about a lot mm-hmm. and it's something that at times we're very positive about, and at times we're kind of negative about, because we expect a lot from the continuity here, and this this whole idea of this this continuity of universe and this this overall and this overarching narrative is something that goes back seventy five years when you look at comic books. Right. So you look at the success there of crossing over into the Justice League in nineteen sixty two, the Avengers mm-hmm. in nineteen sixty three. I think it was sixty two for Justice League and we'll go with that <laughs> the success that they had there and how long it took to translate that onto screen yeah like it's, it's pretty amazing that it did take that long to produce something like this but now we've got this
1: humongous
0: money-making machine that mm-hmm. is the cinematic universe you have people trying to emulate it for the better or for the worse but when you look at why studios do this just let's just look at bottom lines here before we go right. to quality and quantity and all this Bottom lines here. Let's look at the top three grossing cinematic universes. Number one is the MCU. It has 15 films within it. Okay. It's grossed $4.6 billion domestically. That's insane. And $11.7 billion globally. That's very
1: impressive. (laughs) So this is averaging $780 million per movie globally. That's crazy. Because if you look at some of the beginning ones too, like Hulk, Captain America, Thor, they were making... Low, and they didn't do a lot internationally. Either. No, very low. So it wasn't until the Avengers hit that these movies became the money-making uh, things that they have become. And that, that's
0: a pivotal moment in the cinematic universe. Absolutely. Is the Avengers. That showed that this could, in fact, work. That you could build a cohesive universe with numerous franchises and have that culminate in an event style of movie.
1: No, you're right. And if Avengers had bombed this whole cinematic universe discussion, we wouldn't even be talking about it. Maybe DC would have tried. um, Maybe. Who's to say? But, you know, I think if Avengers would have maybe just been like an okay hit or even had lost money, I don't think they would have continued, and we wouldn't be having this discussion today. That You said, you're right. It's the pivotal moment in this uh, combined cinematic universe. It changed
0: everything in Hollywood. You look even back at Star Wars. This is technically a cinematic universe now. When you layer in the prequels, you layer in Rogue One, the anthology movies and all that, there's now several franchises that are contained within a much larger universe with somewhat of a cohesive narrative going through it. Mm -hmm. This, This franchise itself is grossed. With nine films, $3.7 billion domestically. Now this is including all the re-releases. And $7.7 billion globally. Lightweights. Lightweights, yeah. <laughs> and then you look at the next one down here, J.K. Rowling's Wizard World. Right. So this has 10 films in it, $2. Okay. $2.6 billion domestically, and $8.5 billion
1: Worldwide. Wow, I had no idea they were that successful.
0: Very successful. And this is something that's been kicked off recently into the cinematic universe with the addition of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find them. So they're adding to what was an established universe. And when you look at these movies, you even look at the top 10 movies over the last 15 years or so. Seven of the 10 are within a cinematic universe. They are not the first movie out of the gate. Mm -hmm. They're follow ups or they're movies that are contained within a larger universe and you compare that when you adjust everything for inflation to the movies that do sit at the top all time almost none of them or absolutely none of them until you get to the force awakens which is number 11 Mm -hmm. are actually franchised movies these are one-offs or the first film in a franchise right so that's that's a cool shift that's a cool way to look at if you're just looking at from a money perspective right you look at gone with the wind star wars sound of music et titanic ten commandments jaws top seven there these are all one-offs
1: or the first movie in the franchise, most of them being one-offs. Whoa, Titanic was a cinematic universe. You didn't see the Jack prequel and the Rose prequel? <laughs> yeah. And then the Rose sequel after? <laughs> <laughs> the Rose sequel. The follow-up to... Thorn and a Rose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you look at that, that, that comparison there, from the film-adjusted gross mm-hmm. to the present-day representation, so your unadjusted gross, where you've had a complete shift in what movies are making the most money. Do you think that this has bettered the film industry, the cinematic universe itself, this continuum of storytelling through multiple franchises? Has this made hollywood better or has this allowed them to become somewhat complacent that you can rely on a brand now instead of relying on the quality of a movie you can put a transformers movie out every single year and it will make a billion dollars no matter how shit or
1: how good it is you mean having them go back in time is not a good idea
0: yeah (laughs) let's have them go to knights and fight nazis and stuff
1: how do you lose to knights you're transformers they have swords if you lose you're the worst (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) getting back to the question at hand I'm gonna have to say no I feel like this may be to the detriment of Hollywood but let me hear me out if it's done right it's amazing and it's wonderful if you look at the MCU that's something that's done right if you look at the DCEU, that's something that I think is done right. and It's going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction. And, you know, people wouldn't have been as jacked for Wonder Woman if it wasn't for Batman v Superman and her cameo in that and the show that she kicked ass and then people saw that and were like, hmm, okay, let's go check out this movie. Wow, this movie's amazing as well. So if it's done right, it's amazing. And I think it definitely benefits it because, as I said numerous times on this podcast – one of the things I love is I love going and watching movie marathons and having this cohesive cinematic universe is great for that because I can go in now before Justice League kicks off, I can watch Man of Steel, BVS, Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad, and build up to this event. Uh, before Infinity War, we're watching all the MCU movies and you can check out that retrospective series on our podcast. Shameless self <laughs> um, And that's wonderful. However, the reason why I think it's to the detriment of Hollywood, I don't think that they're doing it well consistently. I think those are two examples that have done right, and I have a schwack of others that have done wrong. <laughs> starting with the Dark Universe that they've tried to kick off now twice, with Dracula Untold and now The Mummy, and it's it's pretty bad when the brendan fraser original kicks your butt in terms of money and critical approval yes <laughs> but i just think about like the history of hollywood there were so many risks that were taken you look at a film like et you know it was just a one-off movie if you know we're in the cinematic universe and they're thinking about sequels and stuff does et even get made or if it does get made does the ending get changed well, that's a good
0: point because I think there is room in this world for one-off movies, and Christopher Nolan is the king of that right now. He is making movies that are one and done.
1: But he got to start doing Batman exactly I mean, a trilogy of movies, right? Um, I think you know if you look at these movies, Christopher Nolan, he can easily command two hundred million. Go to Warner Brothers, say, "Give me two hundred million, I'll turn it into a billion for you." How many other directors? I mean, there's not a lot of mid-range projects nowadays. No, and there's not. And everyone needs
0: a franchise. This is where the money is being made. You look at it from a pure business perspective. This is where the money is being made. Every single studio is trying to create their own cinematic universe for this exact reason, to make money. And we've seen the the falters here. We've seen successes. And when you look back at, is this the complacency of Hollywood? Like, is this a detriment to Hollywood? Is this the downfall of Hollywood, the cinematic universe? I'm going to say no. Okay. I, I think that... There's still room for one-and-done movies. I think Dunkirk's going to be absolutely fantastic this year. There's room Mm -hmm. to tell good stories in a single movie. You don't have to have a continuum of story in every single movie that comes out. But at the same time, when me personally, when I look back at the films I'm most excited for most consistently, Mm -hmm. it's movies coming out of the MCU it's movies coming out of Star Wars and I'm
1: starting to feel somewhat that way about DC. Oh, you're getting warm and fuzzy from DC. Little warm and yeah.
0: So I get excited about this idea of a universe that's building up around itself. Mm-hmm. And when you extend that out into this greater media universe where you have novels, comic books, this all encompassing universe building, this really excites me. Like I love the idea of being able to pick up a novel that continues a story in Star Wars that will never be touched by film. Right. And you look at prelude comics for MC one shots, TV shows, and Netflix. Yeah, there is some strain there as if they're actually connected, but at the same time, I'm thoroughly excited about everything that drops in this. So I think as far as engaging a fandom, the cinematic universe is really beneficial. It gets people hyped. Yes, there is reliance on brand, But like you said, if it's done right, if they take their time, they go slow, they develop. They look at diversity within the cast, within the directing, within the writing, doing something different. The MCU is a great example, and i come back to that several times here. Mm -hmm. They took their time, they also allowed their films to feel like different genres, as we went through this, political Mm -hmm. thrillers, space operas. There's something in there for everyone. We're not getting cookie cutter movies. Yes, the overall plot to some of these, especially the origin movies, do feel very familiar when you're watching them. But at the same time, they're keeping you engaged with good acting, good casting and Mm -hmm. good snappy dialogue. Right. So as far as what it's doing to Hollywood, I think where the detriment comes in is the emulation of it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a lot of people or a lot of studios are just trying to get to the point that the MCU, at that Star Wars at, where they're making billions of dollars. Yeah. But look, Star Wars is a franchise that's 40 years old. Right. The MCU has put, since 2008 into this, a ton of money, a ton of time. They've had missteps. Mm-hmm. Phase 2 is a perfect example of it. Mm-hmm. The follow-on from Avengers are some of their weakest movies. Right. And you look at DC. Again, stumbled out of the block. They mm-hmm. tried to rush it. They've slowed it down a bit. they have going back to this one movie, two movies per year type thing. Mm-hmm. They're not all of a sudden just doing three movies, four movies per year. So they've they've pulled back here. Fox are having a bit of success with Deadpool they're pulling back a bit and making sure they do it right
1: but fox's best movies are the ones that don't connect to the universe deadpool has no connection logan has no connection but you know if any yeah yeah it tries right and like days of future past like it's all these all their best movies like make no sense and if they tried to have it connect like maybe logan wouldn't have been as good Uh, but maybe you know i mean that's one thing that in our review you didn't like about it was the fact that the connectivity wasn't there at all
0: yeah well that's a good point is that does it now take away from movies because (laughs) they're not part of a universe and i'd have to agree with you the x-men are the ones that i'm hammering at lately because they don't make the attempt to fall in line with the cinematic universe Mm -hmm. and is that my fault now because i've had this expectation that it's been kind of dumped into me for the last 10 years say Mm -hmm. about a cinematic universe and it has to be cohesive and it has to fit together and it has to make sense. Right. Where I'm just not focusing in on the movie. So that was something I picked out with Logan is that they really didn't try hard enough to make it feel like it was part of something bigger. Doesn't need to be made part of something bigger. Maybe not. Deadpool called that right out in the film that there's a lots of confusion within this franchise. This (laughs) is the breaking the fourth wall that Deadpool does. Yeah. But it was addressing this idea and this obsession with cinematic universes that Hollywood and fandom do have now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're on this, I think this fine line right now because we're getting to the tipping point and we've discussed if we're ever going to get to the saturation point of comic book movies. And I think we can extend this into, are we going to get to the saturation of the cinematic universe? Are we going to get tired of this ongoing narrative that drives towards something where we never feel like we get a full one-and-done movie, a movie that's self-contained that you can just pick up and watch. You don't have to watch now the previous 14 movies to understand what's going on in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Right. So that that's where we can get hung up a bit here if the studios aren't careful with how they develop the narrative. I think coming to the end of Infinity War... We're gonna get the end of what we know as the MCU, and they're gonna be kicking off something different, almost like a soft reboot of the cinematic universe, while being somewhat self-contained.
1: Yeah, no, and um, I think the best way to do it is kind of, you know, the way DC did with Wonder Woman. You have the self-contained film, but it also builds up the narrative just a little bit to Justice League. You know, um, something like X Men as well. You know, if they were to give me. Wolverine film and then a Cyclops film if they're self-contained films and then you show them in an X-Men kind of event film kind of like the MCU phase one I think that was really well done where you had these self-contained films so you have Iron Man Hulk uh Thor and Captain America and you know they didn't really drive the narrative nods, you but- just nods but yeah but like if you look at Thor like he there's not as much Phase 2, I think they tried to push that narrative a little bit too much in some of their films. Well, Phase 2, I think the issue was was that because they had constructed Avengers,
0: is now everyone's like, well, why didn't Tony just call Thor or right. Captain America? Yeah. So you run into the problem where you've driven towards something, you've assembled, and now it's about breaking apart and going back and returning to the franchise Mm -hmm. while you have this lingering idea of this group that's hanging out there. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, coming up with creative ways. And I think they've solved this problem into phase three about having this universe where now we have Thor and Hulk and we had Civil War. And so they're acknowledging this, this presence of superheroes and of this narrative within the franchises. But even you look back at Captain America, is it in itself a franchise or has the cinematic universe somewhat taken that apart and not allowed it to be a full trilogy, a full franchise in the traditional sense where it focuses in around a single character and more or less a continuing story. Because you can't really watch Captain
1: America right through the the trilogy itself. It wouldn't make any sense, especially with Civil War. Civil
0: War is the tough one. You can maybe get through Cap 1 and Winter Soldier. Yeah, actually I could see that, yeah. But you can't get to Civil War. You can't make that leap from Cap 2 to Cap 3 anymore. No. It became an event-style movie. So is that a a detriment to the Captain America franchise? Are we going to see that in Thor? Are we going to see that in other movies where because the continuity is so heavy and weighing down the narrative, are we going to see that now breaking apart these franchises where we do lose the focus of the
1: individual character? I mean, that's something that comics have been struggling with since 19... 20 whenever they came out right i mean look sometimes a continuity can be an anchor but sometimes it can be a lifeline i mean if you're a fan of say batman i always throw dc okay fine i'll throw a marvel example
0: (laughs) i've just been talking about throw dc
1: all right all right we'll (laughs) go so say you're a fan of batman and you're like oh i really want to see the justice league film but you're like you know i don't really know too much about wonder woman you know the film ah maybe i'll catch it you know, if it was just like a one-off, you probably wouldn't have gone to, you know, like you may, you know, you may not have seen it, but if you're really looking forward to Justice League, now you have to see Wonder Woman because she's going to play a prominent role in that, right? So, I mean, it kind of connects the dots and drives other fandoms in, especially with, um, like, the big events. Like, if you're an Avengers fan and you're like, oh, I really want to see Captain America and Avengers, then you're like, well, I got to see Thor and I got to see Iron Man. Whereas before in the past when they released these films and there was no connectivity, like you'd see, I don't even know, like you'd see a Batman film, but then you didn't need to see a Christopher Reeve Superman film, right? Like if you weren't a Superman fan, there'd be no need for it. Whereas if they had a Justice League back in the 70s and 80s, then yeah, I think you would have had to go and see him and then they probably would have done a little bit better like Superman 4 Quest for Peace
0: <laughs> well, well that's interesting because when you look at an individual franchise itself we talked about maybe Captain America suffering a bit because I don't think let, don't, let me clarify that I don't think the franchise itself suffers from it. I think they're all fantastic movies mm-hmm. and two of the three of them are well, actually all three of them are some of my favorite in that universe right. but I'm talking as, a, as a, like a single can you watch this in a single sitting and get a full complete story Yeah. so I don't even think I
1: clarified myself there I love those movies but <laughs> when you but when do you, you like him i love him. <laughs> you what? should see the look on his face when he said that he doesn't even say that when he like says he, i love you to his wife like that look on his different face. level yeah well <laughs> <laughs> you look at a character like hulk or
0: thor who maybe has benefited from being part of a cinematic universe because would we have gotten a continuation of the thor franchise outside of the cinematic universe Probably not. Maybe not. Maybe not after Thor 2.
1: Yeah, because that one, I don't think it even made back its money after marketing. Probably it was pretty close.
0: No, this is one of the ones that probably would have fell by the wayside.
1: Yeah. And you look at Hulk.
0: We wouldn't see Hulk unless he was part of an Avengers movie. He can't be part of a solo ongoing franchise anymore because of the rights with Universal. Right. So in some degrees, yeah, it takes away from maybe a continuation of a single character story, but it also allows us to explore different characters. The The events of Civil War allowed us to have Spider-Man and Black Panther enter the world. Right. You look at Iron Man 2, Black Widow came in, Thor, uh, Hawkeye. So we have the ability to take liberties and take risks with films while we're lying back on the cinematic universe. I think that Thor, yes, we've had two Thor The Dark World is one of the weaker films, but I think Thor Ragnarok is going to be one of the best films of this year.
1: It looks great. The trailer looks looks amazing.
0: fantastic. So we probably wouldn't have gotten Thor 3 in the absence of the cinematic universe. That's true. So you have to think about what opportunities the cinematic universe is allowing for a franchise. Would we have ever gotten a Black Panther, an Ant-Man film? I doubt it. In the absence of a cinematic
1: universe? We never... No, absolutely not. There's no way. I mean, if there was no connectivity to the Avengers and building up.
0: Yeah. And you expand that into the DC and to even the Fox X-Men universe, Mm -hmm. like some of these movies that we're getting, we would have never have gotten if they weren't able to rely on a brand, what was established before and characters that they're pulling from other franchises. You look at Logan and Deadpool now, like these movies are big time movies and they spinning out of a established universe and doing their own thing, albeit but at the same time, they're relying on the fact that people recognize
1: Hugh Jackman from the X Men franchise. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at the other way, would we have got a Bumblebee spinoff movie? So this this <laughs> is this is the other side of the coin, right? right? We, like, look at we just some, talked about some really the good positives. Yeah, yes. those those are those are the best. I think if you look at the shining examples, it's. You know, it's MCU, it's Star Wars, DC, Fox. I think those are the four that are doing it the Even best. Even Harry Potter, like, yeah, I guess Harry it's Potter, it's somewhat of a franchise,
0: but at the same time, it's it's beloved movies. They went, I think, seven or eight films there, which is again unprecedented. Yeah. But yeah, there is a flip side to this whole discussion, and that's films like Transformers. That's uh, films like this Dark Universe they're trying to establish. When you look back at it. <laughs> In this dark universe thing, would we have gotten a Mummy reboot? Would we have gotten Dracula Untold if they didn't have this crazy idea that we're going to create this universe? Hopefully, and hopefully they would have been better. <laughs> I didn't see the Mummy or anything like that, but this no. is one of the these cinematic universes that Universal is trying to put together, this dark universe. And it's been rumored for a while. They did somewhat confirm it, I believe, last year at Comic-Con where they had the Mummy, Frankenstein, Wolfman. Johnny Depp was a cast as the Invisible Man. So they're trying to put something together here, but the first two movies that tried to kick it off, Dracula Untold and The Mummy, have both fallen flat.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what do they do now? They have all these plans, but, you know, all it takes is just one good film to get it back on track. This is true. But, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen these films yet, but how much connectivity do they have and how much does that take away... From the main narrative. I mean, are we too busy now in the Dark Universe talking about... You're trying to tell a mummy story, but then maybe Dracula pops up? Like, that doesn't fit to me. You know, it's it's like trying to fit a square hole into a round peg. Well, Dr. Jekyll Hyde is in that yeah. movie,
0: I believe. Russell Crowe plays him.
1: Which, which doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't see the connectivity. You know, I love horror films, but... I don't want to go into a movie and see the mummy and Dracula interact or have Frankenstein there. Like, the Munsters, that was done, like, years ago. Like, let's move on. Like, I don't... That, I, I want to see Batman interact with Superman. I don't want to see Wolfman, you know, with the mummy. Do, do you have, like, an Avengers
0: style of, you know, round camera work where you're circling around the Invisible Man, the mummy <laughs> guy, Frankenstein? and Like, it just doesn't make sense. And when no. you look at the Transformers franchise as we will call it, but it is expanding into what could be, I guess, a cinematic universe with the Bumblebee movie telling different stories and so these it's this type of universe that really weighs down the concept because they're simply producing these things for the international market. Absolutely. And they're not putting the time in it like you look back to the first Transformers; it made somewhat sense. They were like, oh, this is the first time we're it making." It was a fun movie. Yeah, I liked it. And you look at some of these other rumored cinematic universes that are somewhat in development. There's the Jump Street MIB one. That makes no sense. Sounds kind of cool, though. What? I can get on board with that. I, I don't.
1: I don't see it at call all. Call it a
0: crossover more than, less than a universe. But... I
1: guess. Like, can you? I, I just don't see. It. Like MIB was so cool. I mean, I guess that franchise has kind of run its course. I don't see them making a fourth one and combining it with Jump Street. Like, I thought those guys were taking down, like, high school kids. Now they've got to take on Galactic Aliens. <laughs> I, I, that one I could kind of... I think that would be kind ah, of... Fun. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, if that movie ever gets made, we're going... I'm, on, I'm on
0: board with that. I'll, I'll be the first one to say here that I, I liked... The second Jump Street was kind of weird, but I liked the two of them together. Putting them into, like, this alien Will Smith-type world I think could be a lot of fun. How about... Hasbro toys cinematic universe. See this one, I I can get on board with this. So it's GI Joe and Transformers and Micronauts, Rom Space Knight. Okay, Visionaries, masks Like these are all kind of like
1: one off toys from... and robot type looking toys. Yeah, yeah.
0: So would you buy the Rock as whoever he was? Roadblock, I think. I can't even remember. Yeah, I think in that movie his name was Roadblock. In the same movie with optimus prime like that'd be
1: so cool <laughs> yeah that, they, they must
0: have crossed over in the 80s well, on the i'm cartoon. sure there's either a comic book or a cartoon or yeah. something with them crossing over
1: it'd be kind of cool to see i mean it kind of makes sense i mean it'd be cool if you had the earth be like look these transformers keep destroying earth like it's we're calling gonna... the gi joe's done <laughs> that's a billion dollar movie call like the ship guy and <laughs>
0: the problem with some of these toys is that the those while well, they a lot of them are very eighties toys, which are a bit out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. So there might be some appreciation for something like that outside of that, but the the children today and the, the audience that you're shooting for aren't going to appreciate this franchise for maybe what people slightly older than us would. Yeah. Like they're not gonna know who the Space Knights are. Like yes, you know they no can build these franchises are. up, the micronauts and all this. Like that th- they're gonna have a hard time building that because even with this mummy or whatever the hell it's called, dark universe, there's right. a reliance on character recognition right. to build this. People know the mummy story, Frankenstein, all this. So there is that that common, as far as every movie moviegoer, they, they understand the basic archetype of the character. Right. Whereas you start throwing this stuff together, people are like, okay, I, I know the name GI Joe and I know yep. the name Transformers, but all this other stuff just all look kind of like different Transformers to me. Yeah. So getting that off the ground I think is gonna be difficult.
1: Yeah, and then if you have the Transformers with their own like spin-off films, it's just too much Transformers. Yeah. We got enough of that. Yes. Especially if Michael Bay's directing. Oh, I mean, too I much, know. too much. Just take a seat, Michael Bay. Yeah, I think your time's done. Just exit <laughs> stage left. <laughs> so Sony, they are really
0: trying hard here. They have got this Venom verse that we talked about. Yeah. This jump street Sony. And they've also recently bought the rights to Valiant Comics, so their oh, stories. Okay. I don't read Valiant, so I know nothing about it here. No, same here. So there's Bloodshot, Harbinger, a couple other movies rumored oh, here. Oh,
1: yeah, Bloodshot. He was big in the 90s. Yeah. yeah and so there's, there's like that Savage Dragon.
0: Yeah, that was like the whole spinoff in the 90s where Image and Valiant, all these guys kind of found their niche space. Yeah. The darker type movies. I can buy that. Like Spawn style of movie, right? So was
1: Image then doing it too? Or? I don't
0: know how where Image falls into all this. This is something that might or should be made probably on this list is i don't know who owns the rights to, to image or whatever we need a new spawn yeah well th- that's the thing right is there room for another comic book cinematic universe do you think like is there or are people kind of at the point where like we have dc we have fox and we have the mcu we're done like we can't do anymore you look at some of the recent attempts to go a bit darker into this world they haven't been overly successful i see this valiant and don't get me wrong, people that read Valiant, like this might be my complete ignorance. I see this more as like the weighing into like a video game style, yeah. of movie, like the, how the tone that they try to take. That's all I'm envisioning here.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't read a Valiant comic ever, and you know the characters, Bloodshot looked had a cool look to him, but yeah, I just, I just don't know. I think they're just, at this point, throwing goo at the wall and seeing what sticks. What happens. And just go from
0: there, build something, right? Yeah. That's the problem. We can't just be building anything. Yeah.
1: Time, effort, and proper writing. Yeah. I mean, if they take the time, maybe, who knows, like, they could be like Deadpool hits, right? Where they just came out of nowhere and, you know, I'm willing to give a chance like Hellboy. It's getting rebooted. Yeah. But I like the first one. I haven't seen the second one. But, you know, if it's kind of like that style, I don't know who did hellboy but
0: as Guillermo del toro
1: oh but i meant like the comic is that dark horse or yeah i think so maybe they need to have a dark horse universe because it's like hellboy and hellboy 2 and <laughs> <laughs> no 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 and dread 2 yeah oh yeah dread so that'd be cool like a dread
0: hellboy crossover it doesn't work though just the universe again it's, it's yeah. butting heads with things that just don't tend to melt
1: it's got to have a easy connectivity you know yeah. like something like But then again, does Thor and Captain America have any connectivity? But they made it work. They made it work. They made it feel like it was part of the
0: same universe. So that's, again, taking the time to build it up where Thor feels like it's in that universe. And they spent a lot of time in the first Thor, you know, trying to make you understand the idea that the magic that we see them doing is just science that we don't understand. The physics and all that
1: actually work. and. So and they went with Dr. Strange where he does science. magic, magic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: but again, they waited to do Dr. Strange. This wasn't yeah. the first movie out of the same with Ant-Man, right? Yeah. We didn't go to these fantastical elements of comic books and try to bring people in that way. It was like, let's establish with Iron Man grounded, Captain America grounded, Hulk people knew the story and Thor was the risk in phase one, right? Mm-hmm. So you offset that with a bunch of movies that people could get into. Like at the time of, Iron Man was Dark Knight when people were trying to ground things and make things feel like they're in the real universe or real world. Right. And that's what they needed to do at the time. And they built it up that way, and then now they've allowed themselves the ability to go to Guardians, to go to Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, you can take those liberties once you've established a foundation. No, very true. So how about these last couple? Lego. This is something that I'm extremely excited about. Yeah,
1: that one actually works. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> they didn't do as much connectivity that I thought they would with the Lego batman movie right there's some odd references here and there and i guess the character is a direct spin Mm-hmm. but that's one i can get on to because they have that ninjanjo or whatever film that they teased before it, it looked funny actually yeah, it looked good yeah. so hopefully they start to build this whole cohesive lego universe it'd be kind of like you can really do anything there and because it's a satirical take on films, on mm-hmm. what they're doing, they have a lot of liberties there and they can go a lot of different directions. I think this one in particular, because it's not going to rely so much on building continuity, mm-hmm. that they can take this and do whatever they want with it and oh, be yeah. successful.
1: And they have so many franchises, right? Because they own the rights to Star Wars Lego, do they? And Marvel? I don't know how all that works into the whole movie, but yeah, they could probably pay for or maybe have the rights to cameos and all that. Because they did show up in the Lego movie yep. Star Wars. So, I mean, you you can't tell me if a star wars lego movie came out it wouldn't be a huge hit It'd be a massive hit well there's lots of lego type
0: things right right i think there's a freemaker's adventures as lego i don't know i don't know but <laughs> people would see it what about Hanna Barbera? this is from wb so this is a, a property or studio that has created the likes of scooby-doo flintstones yogi barrett the jetsons and a Smurfs, which are owned by Sony.
1: I like it. Get these guys back out there. I mean, when's the last time we saw any of these cartoons? I think it's great. 60s. Yeah, exactly. Well, the Flintstones movie. I kind of liked it back in the day. The, the John Goodman one? Yeah. Yeah. Rick Moranis. Yeah. That's a good one. But didn't the Flintstones and the Jetsons already cross over in the 90s? Like that they cartoon. Did it in the cartoon. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think for a while Fred Flintstone went bonkers and he had like a little green alien and.
1: Oh yeah, re- that's so weird. I, I don't
0: remember exactly. I that was that's like my my dad's generation that watched yeah. that. He'd be a good one to talk about that. Yeah. But Scooby Doo is getting rebooted here, and they're talking about doing this whole continuous universe there. It that one? It's gonna be a tough one too.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be tough to see the Flintstones interacting with Scooby Doo and Yogi, and Yogi Bear. Bear,
0: like it just in the Jetsons or way off. Like I don't know. I mean we'll I guess it's it's something again that you're trying to to fit in something that doesn't organically work. Like it yeah. doesn't make sense to have the Stone Age Flintstones with the futuristic Jetsons. Like that I don't know how you do that.
1: Were you more a Jetsons or Flintstones fan?
0: Probably like in my head, I don't want to say Jetsons, but I remember yeah. watching more Flintstones. Okay,
1: because I was all about the Jetsons. Yeah. Like I watched it way more than Flintstones. Right. <laughs> and we're gonna get into like big rivals. See, we always choose the opposite <laughs> sides. Like we're gonna be like, oh, Fred Flintstone sucks compared to compared to George Jetson. <laughs> George Jetson's the worst. No way, man. Meet George Jetson.
0: <laughs> all right. To finish off this conversation, I've right. got three franchises or cinematic universes that are somewhat stuck
1: right now all right let's hear
0: middle earth do you think that wb is justified in revisiting the middle earth cinematic universe we've had the lord of the rings which were highly praised the hobbit which fell a bit short Mm -hmm. and there is this book the similarities i think it's called the similarities so this is something that they could do another trilogy out of that takes place after lord of the rings interesting is there room for more of that or do you think it's time to take a break for that for a while
1: no i would totally dig it depending who's doing it if peter jackson was still involved then yeah i'd probably give it a go i really like the lord of the rings i'm not gonna lie i think that franchise or that trilogy is one of the best of all time the lord of the rings is i have yet to finish the hobbit no i have not seen that either it just didn't intrigue me but maybe this uh, new one will i don't know we'll see how about star trek see i really like the first three star treks i don't know Um, if you really, not a lot of people dug the third one. I wasn't a big fan of the third one. It didn't do as well in theater, so I think they're moving to TV.
0: Yeah, they got that show coming out, Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, it keeps I getting it pushed back yeah, or something. Yeah, I think they had a, they dropped a poster and official release, I think, in January okay. of 2018. So it's still a ways out yet.
1: I, I mean, I like Star Trek. I know I might be in the minority here. I think it's a great uh, franchise that gave us films like Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. um, the J.J. Abrams one. And uh, I really dug uh, Into Darkness. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people shit on it, but I thought it was pretty good. I mean, being someone who didn't even watch any previous Star Wars films, and I didn't see Wrath of Khan, I really liked it. Star Trek, Star Trek. I'm in.
0: <laughs> you said Star Wars.
1: Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip. There. Oopsies. Uh, the right way though. No, what about you? I mean, you're a big Star Wars guy. Have you ever got on board with Star Trek? Or
0: I never really watched any of the TV shows. Um, I like the idea that it does have this massive back catalog of TV shows from Next Generation to mm-hmm. Enterprise and all. This. I think Star Trek, the the universe itself, seems better suited for TV, mm-hmm. for syndicated or sequential episodic TV watching. Right. And maybe that's the way they need to start this. And what they did with Next Generation was they had the TV. And then they stop and do a movie. Yeah. That's a cool concept. Yeah. To have like your, your episodic TV series and it culminates in a movie every three or two years. That's cool. I think that's a way that Star Trek can leverage their cinematic universe and build on more things and have crossovers and these type of things.
1: I dig it. Yeah.
0: Now last one here. How about the reemergence of the fantastic four plus the X-Men universe? (laughs) There's rumors that Fox are looking at revamping, recreating, and redeveloping a Fantastic Four film franchise.
1: Uh, okay. Fox, you've had three strikes. You're out. I mean, give it to Marvel. Let's see what they can do with it. Agreed. But, but if they really want to keep it and they do a good job, I think there's a lot of potential there. It'd be really cool to see an event team up movie where Galactus comes to Earth and is up to the Fantastic Four and the X-Men to stop him. I think that'd be great. And he's not a cloud, so that'd be really cool. Maybe include Doctor Doom, where they have to recruit him to help him. And it'd be really cool to see Doctor Doom and Magneto you know, on the same team battling Galactus, throwing Silver Surfer. That's potential for a billion dollars right there. Like That would be a huge movie. I just don't think
0: that fandom has the tolerance for another rebooted Fantastic Four film outside of the mcu
1: you don't know i mean batman and robin if you know and then they gave the reigns to christopher nolan and he gave us batman begins i guess we've got these movies and then now we've rebooted again yeah into
0: Batman, and people are still asking for more batman but batman's a very different character <laughs> yes. he is fantastic four
1: but fantastic four for a while were as popular as batman in the comics that now, was a long time ago does fantastic four run its course I think, outside of the
0: MCU, I think it has.
1: Yeah. Even in the comic books, they're busted to pieces. Yeah. Like,
0: Marvel Comics has taken them apart.
1: Well, is that because they don't own the rights? So they're like, why would we make stories for these guys? to think
0: that they wouldn't sacrifice one of their original teams, or their original teams, the the characters that span back decades, for business purposes, and and just stick it to Fox. But that might be the case. So, I don't think there's room for this universe anymore. I think that Fantastic Four don't meld together well with the Deadpool-Logan style of films that they're doing now. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. Give it back to Marvel. They fit into this MCU, I think. What I envision for a film for Fantastic Four is something that would fit that Marvel blueprint very well. Mm -hmm. Because I think the X-Men universe itself is faltering as well. I think it's going by the wayside. I think they're going to have to rethink exactly what they're doing there to get back up
1: to the level of mcu star wars even the dcu right yeah like dark phoenix does not have me that excited
0: not at all i think it's going to be just a repeat of what we saw in apocalypse I said mm-hmm. this last week and i'll continue to say this until they show me otherwise yeah but i just don't think there's room for fantastic four in the x-men cinematic either universe either
1: I, I agree i mean given what we've seen i have no reason to be optimistic but i hold out hope that that movie would be so awesome that if they did it because i feel like the dark and kind of gritty with Galactus works better with the Fox blueprint as opposed to the MCU blueprint. I mean, I've yet to see Thanos make any sort of headwaves in the MCU, but it'd be really cool to see like a dark and gritty movie involving Galactus, X-Men, Fantastic Four. I mean, that would be, as I said, a billion dollar movie. Well, it might be something I need to take a different direction, to take a look at. But- I mean, I, I don't even know because as you said, who is going to go to that Fantastic Four reboot if they do it again? The fans aren't going to tolerate it.
0: I don't so think so. They have
1: to go a completely different direction, and maybe the dark is the way to go. And even the general audiences, if you're someone who knows very little about comic book movies, and you see Fantastic Four, you're going to be like, "Yeah, I'm not going to that." That again? Yeah, <laughs> no way. So, what's your verdict?
0: We we've discussed here for about half an hour or so about the cinematic universe, the the pitfalls of it, the positives of it. What we see. What's your verdict here on the cinematic universe? Is it a detriment to Hollywood? Or do you think it's something that's benefited Hollywood as
1: a whole? Uh, Personally, I'd like to see it continue, especially with comic book movies. Other franchises that don't really work well together are being kind of melded together. And I'd like to see that stop. Give me more one-off films. We don't need these all-connected universes. Comic books work because that's the way they've been set up since they've been created. So let's keep doing that. Everything else, let's get rid of. How about you, Tim? Well, I'm
0: completely on board with the idea and the concept of a cinematic universe. Like I said, my favorite movies are Marvel and Star Wars, and they rely heavily on continuity and building into a franchise, into a universe, and keeping that universe connected and continuous. But you're right with your assessment that not everything needs to be a cinematic universe. I think it needs to be a portion of Hollywood, of filmmaking, an important piece of that. It's a pillar of Hollywood now the idea of the cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. There doesn't need to be just one pillar of Hollywood. We need to rely on other things, movies that tell good one-off stories, movies that build into franchises that don't necessarily need to be part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. So it just tells a good story about a good character. So I agree. Hollywood needs to take a balanced approach. Filmmaking needs to take a balanced approach to the idea of a cinematic universe. I think it's here, and we're not going to get away from it anytime soon. I think the franchises and the studios that are doing this are doing it well Mm -hmm. and the ones that are trying to play catch up here just really need to look back and take a good look and see what they're doing to their brand by trying to jam through a cinematic universe Mm -hmm. has this been a detriment to some franchises i think so i think this is really beat down that dark universe this is really hampered the x-men universe But at the same time, it's made movies what they are today. It's the movies that we've come to expect and love. It's the movies we spend the majority of the time talking about on this podcast. Right. So I think there's always going to be room for the cinematic universe, but it doesn't need to be the only thing in filmmaking. A balanced approach is the way to go.
1: I agree. I agree. I'll be remiss if I didn't bring up one of my favorite uh, crossovers or cinematic universes. Do you remember Jason Goes to Hell or the Ninth oh, Friday the yeah. 13th at the end where Freddy shows up and <laughs> then the next movie was Freddy vs. Jason? Awesome. How cool was that? How <laughs> was that like the, the early stages of crossovers and all yeah, that. Yeah, that was one of the first ones. Or Batman and Robin when yeah. Batman says, this is why Superman works alone. And the first hint towards the larger universe. They didn't go anywhere with it, but yeah. uh, who knows? Maybe... In an alternate universe there's a crossover where Nicolas Cage's Batman or Nicolas Cage's Superman and <laughs> George Clooney's Batman had a cinematic universe.
0: <laughs> well, someday maybe we'll see that. I hope not. In comic man. book form. I hope not. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking cinematic universe and we we've raised that fandom hysteria level on Star Wars. Just a little bit. I don't think there's much to worry about there.
1: Panic, panic. Well, what if that was DC? Oh, I'd be all over it. He'd <laughs> be like, oh, Batman, Matt Reeves, director, Sweet. leaves again, and Justice wow. League is... i will yeah. be, yeah. be you
0: know, up into the red with Justice League and all that. Here. Yeah, <laughs> there's but still plenty of time. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt here to Star Wars for now. We'll see where all that goes. Cool, cool. And if you guys would like to be a part of the show, you can always get a hold of us at thenerdrm at gmail.com. You can comment our Facebook or YouTube pages, or you can hit us up on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode. We're always looking for you guys to contribute. Next week, we're going to be returning to do our Spider-Man Homecoming prelude. We're going to be talking through and doing some predictions on the film and trying to bring some of Troy's vast Spider-Man knowledge into the frame here and try to do a little bit of early predictions on what we want to see and what we think we're going to see in this brand new spider-man standalone film i'm immensely excited to discuss that next week and i can't wait to get into our spider-man next couple of weeks of episodes
1: i can't wait until they finally announce that aunt may movie <laughs> it's coming it's being teased <laughs> oh, it, there was rumors yes there was
0: oh all right buddy well until next week for the nerd room i'm tim and i'm Sanji, and thank you for entering the nerd room this has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim and Troy on Twitter at TheNerdRM and Troy The Boy 87. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth podcast network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a
1: larger world.